Well, all right. Welcome back. Another night of Revive. Uh, starting to get back into what uh, it's going to look like in here. And so uh, still working out some bugs as we are uh, making this transition back to a normal fellowship hall, normal meeting space. Uh, but we'll get all those worked out moving forward. Tonight we are continuing our series we started a couple of weeks ago, Does My Life Matter? And so this series we've kind of been looking at this question that all of us hope we have an answer to uh, because we all ask this question, does my life matter? Does my life have purpose? Am I making a difference? Uh, we kicked it off with an idea of fractured um, and we really just saw this identity crisis that a lot of us have because we do the things that we don't want to do, we don't do the things that we want to do, and so why is that? Why do we have this fracture in ourselves, this, this war going on uh, inside of us? Last week we looked at the idea of, is this real life? Like, can, can this really happen? Can, can my life really make a difference? Can my life really matter? Can, can I actually do this thing? Tonight we're going to look at this idea, a true underdog story. And so this isn't necessarily a question I want you to answer out loud, but just wanted to think about what is one of your favorite underdog stories that you've heard? Now like growing up and even now, you know, you love a good underdog story. You love to hear or watch a movie about an underdog uh, that, that is one. Some of my favorites, so like Rocky, who in here has seen Rocky? Sylvester Stallone, yeah. So Rocky won. This dude from Philly's like trying to make a name for himself, trying to find true love. He uh, fights the undefeated Apollo Creed and loses. Spoiler alert, split decision. But he falls in love, Adrian, you know, and so it's okay. Love is the real winner in Rocky 1. But in Rocky 2, the rematch, Rocky gets the W, right? Underdog story, the one we all love. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie Rudy. Who's seen Rudy? That's a classic too. Not Rudy Grice, but the movie Rudy. That's maybe even farther back, like Stranger Things, right? That dude, that was Rudy. Um, and so uh, Rudy, this kid who has no size, no talent, uh, goes to Notre Dame where he, one, didn't even think he could get in, and then he gets on the team, and then the last game, they whole crowd chants Rudy, they put him in, he gets a sack, forces a fumble, they carry him off on the shoulders, just your all-time feel-good movie, right, Rudy. Uh, Dodgeball, right, who's seen the movie Dodgeball? Yeah, a few more hands, you know, the average Joes versus Globo Jim, right? Ties the bandana, can't see, Chuck Norris gives him the thumbs up so he can go, great movie. But probably one of my favorite all-time underdog movies is Rookie of the Year. Who has seen Rookie of the Year? This movie came out 1993. None of you were alive. I was one years old myself. Um, but it's a great movie. Kid, no athletic ability, being raised by a single mom, has a freak accident, messes up like a ligament in his arm or elbow or whatever. And he's able to throw unlike anybody's able to throw. He goes to a game, opposing team hits a home run, they're like, throw it back, throw it back. So from center field, this kid cocks it back and throws it right down the middle at center plate from center field. He ends up getting a major league contract with the Cubs, which a 12-year-old getting a major league contract with the, with the Cubs in 93 wouldn't have been that big of a deal because the Cubs were pretty rough in the 90s. So... Um, he gets a contract with the Cubs, 
first game, right? First pitch, the Mets, this big burly dude named Hito, who looks like he's fallen into a vat of chemical waste, first pitch in major leagues, cranks it out, out of the park, his first pitch ever in the major leagues, home run he gives up. Well, he bounces back, ends up taking the Cubs uh, to the division game before the World Series, and who do they face but the Mets and Hito. And so they're walking up, ninth inning, he's pitched a great game, but he slips on the ball, messes up his elbow, it goes back to how it was before. He's got to somehow get three outs as a normal 12-year-old kid. How does this happen? So you see some like Tom Foolery go around where he gets the first and second batter out. Um, but then the third batter he faces, none other than this dude who cranked a home run off of him at the start of the movie. And so uh, the first pitch, just, I mean, he's throwing like 45 miles an hour at this point because he's a 12-year-old kid. So obviously he swings too early. Second pitch, he's cranked down the line, goes foul. Then, you know, the whole movie it's been building on how he wants to be like his father who wasn't in the movie and all of this. This is really a movie you should go back and watch. I'm telling you, it's a great movie. But really, he sees his mom has been there for him the whole time. Well, he's wiping his glove and a little thing goes back and he sees it's, it's his mom's name written in the baseball mitt, not his dad's like he thought it was. And so somehow out of the crowd of thousands of people, they lock eyes and whisper, throw the floater. And so from somehow like 60 feet, he throws a softball pitch that swung and missed, and they win the game. End up, the Cubs win the World Series. Only way is through a movie, like I said, in the 90s, and the kid gets a ring. Rookie of the year. Great underdog story. We love an underdog, right? You want to root for the underdog. And the truth is, a lot of you sitting in here tonight, you probably feel like an underdog. You probably feel like the odds are against you because week in and week out, we've been talking about this idea of does my life matter? Is what I'm doing really making a difference? Like if I weren't going to show up tonight to youth group, would anybody notice? If I didn't come to school, uh, if I didn't make a difference, if I didn't speak out, would my friends notice? Would my teachers notice? Would Ryan care? Would any of the leaders care? Like, if I didn't go uh, and make a difference on a mission trip, would anybody notice? Like, have you ever thought that? Like, who ca what does it matter? We have all of these other great leaders. We have all these other great people. Like, is my life really that big of a deal? Like, you talk about sharing the gospel to my friends, but Ryan, you're going to be there sharing the gospel to my friends. My parents are going to share it. Maybe another youth group will share it. Is it really that big of a deal if I don't go to my friends and invite them to church? Is it really that big of a deal if I don't be the one that carries the message of Jesus to, to the people around me? Is it really that big of a deal if I join Testify or Faith or across the street? Is it really that big of a deal if I'm involved in missions or make a difference? Tonight we're going to see this idea of a true underdog story and how God has provided things in your life for you to actually make a difference, for your life to matter. We're going to be in the book of Romans again, chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 18 through 30. So join with me. The verses are on the screen. Uh, follow along. It says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption 
into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And He who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He glorified. Tonight we're going to see four things on this idea of a true underdog story and how you can live a life that makes a difference. The first thing we see is the anticipation revealed. The anticipation revealed. So in these first you know, few verses, 18 through 22, it's, it's talking about the groanings, the waiting for this to happen. It talks about not only are we not living in the world that we were supposed to live in, God created this world perfect. There was no sunburns. There were no mosquito bites. There was no poison oak or poison ivy. You didn't, you know, get blisters on your hand when you worked. Um, the idea of labor pains, like just like uh, a woman who's pregnant is like, get this baby out of my body. That is like what we are waiting for to get out of this fallen world. And it talks about this idea of the present sufferings cannot be compared to the eternal glory that we'll receive. And man, I'm, I'm in this a lot of days. Paul mentions stuff like this a lot because he makes the comment like, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And, it, and it's talking about this ideal of like, yeah, all of us want to live. Like none of us really want to die. But honestly, like once we are dead, we get to live in eternity with our Father forever. And so we don't have to worry about like, home issues with our parents. We don't have to worry about disagreements with our mom and our dad. We don't have to worry about whether somebody's talking about us or trying to steal our boyfriend or girlfriend or if we're accepted or if we have a good reputation or if I, do I have good grades, am I good at sports. All of that's not going to matter when we get to heaven. We have this anticipation of like all this suffering that goes on on, our, on earth. All of the lost loved ones that we miss. None of those things are going to impact us once we get to heaven. But we're anticipating it. Like a kid that's waiting for Christmas, waiting for their gifts, we anticipate that one day Jesus will come back. We see in the book of Acts, chapter 1, if you go and look at Acts, Jesus is standing there with His disciples, and He tells them, all authority has been given to me. He tells them to go and make disciples. He says in the book of Acts that when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they will be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Pretty much, He's telling us the same thing. You are to be my witnesses, and you are to tell people what you have seen in your own life about me, in your hometown, in your state, in your, in your country, in the world. 
We talk about that here as taking the gospel across the streets, across the states, and across the seas because every life matters. And so we're trying to live out this commission that God has given in Acts chapter 1. But then, right after He gives them this commission, it says that He's raised up into the heavens, and it says that the, the apostles are standing there, and they're just looking up where He left. And an angel comes and he says, Men of faith, why are you still standing here? He's going to come back the way that He left, but pretty much the Ryan version is, now get to work with what He's given you to do. And just like the disciples were anticipating that one day Jesus would come back the same way He left, we still here on earth are sitting here waiting for Jesus to fulfill what He told us He was going to. And a lot of you, you're sitting here and you're waiting for Jesus to fulfill what He's promised in His life. Week after week, I tell you that your life has purpose. Week after week, I tell you that you can make a difference. But the truth is this. If you don't decide to live for Jesus yourself, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't live your life for you. Your parents can't live your life for you. Brother Clay, Brother Bob, Miss Angela, none of your Sunday school teachers, we can't live your life for you. And so really, not only are you anticipating greater things to come in your life, I'm anticipating it. Your teachers, your parents. I see so much potential in this room. And one of the greatest struggles that I go through as a student pastor is just seeing you waste your potential. I sit here and anticipate every single day some of you who have so many things going for you, so much potential, so much leadership skill, and to be honest, a lot of you are just crapping it away. You're just throwing away everything God has given you for opportunities to impress somebody else or to make yourself look good. And I'm just, I'm anticipating some of you, one of you, to say, you know what, I'm going to actually start doing this thing right. I'm going to show that I feel like my life matters. I want to make a difference. And so you're anticipating a lot of things right now. You're anticipating um, maybe making a sports team or making beta or making good grades. You're anticipating college one day. Whatever you're anticipating, you know this idea of, of working. But a lot of you, you're waiting to see, you know, you're laying a foundation right now on what the rest of your life is going to look like. Who am I as a person? What are my likes? What are my dislikes? Who do I want around me? Man, anticipate what God can do in your life. Look forward to that. Prepare for that. So the first thing we see is that the anticipation is revealed. The second is the adoption redeemed. I'm going to talk about this very quickly, but we see this idea in verses 23 through 25 uh, that it, it talks about the first fruits. We eagerly wait for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we all know what like a redemption coupon is, right? Like a bunch of you for sports or different things, I know that the football team has sold these like these little like coupon cards. So you can pay like 10 bucks and you get these coupon discounts to all these places. So I remember like one of them was like you can go to Zaxby's and get like a free kids meal with like the purchase of any menu item or something. And then at like, I don't know, like the Mexican restaurant was like free chips with the order of a thing. And it's like, I already get this. What was my $10 going toward? I, didn't, I don't really know. But like you get these different things. But here's the thing. If I were to pay $10 for this discount card and then I put it in my desk and I, I never use it, it pretty much goes to waste, right? I didn't redeem. I didn't turn in that, that coupon. Even though it's been bought, even though I paid a price for it, nothing is being done with the purchase. If I just go and take that, that you know, the coupon and put it in my desk and don't do anything about it, I can, I can receive a lot of savings. I can receive a lot of good things if I redeem those things that are on it. But if I leave it 
and don't do anything with it, then it's wasted. The same is true with your life. Jesus has bought your life at a price, and the price was his life. God sent his son Jesus to not only die for you, but to die as you. And they use this word, redeem, in the Bible. That means that you have been bought with a price. But if you put yourself in a shelf or on a box, or you just continue to sit in the chairs or in the pews or at your house, and you don't actually give your life to Jesus, turn in the redemption that has been given, then Jesus' sacrifice has been wasted for you because you didn't do anything with it. You're not cashing in what has already been paid for. You don't have to pay for your life. You don't have to work yourself to be made right in God's eyes. Your adoption, your acceptance into God's family has already been paid for. But the thing is, have you accepted Jesus? Are you living for Jesus? Are you allowing your life to make a difference? So we see the anticipation revealed, the adoption redeemed. Third, we see the assistance required. I'm not going to lie to you. I have uh, several skills that I feel like God has gifted me with, but one of the greatest skills God has given me is the skill of delegation. Uh, I, I feel like I do a good job, and, and just in my job, I have to ask for help a lot. Like, I cannot effectively reach out and minister to you uh, by myself. And so thankfully, we have so many great student ministry leaders that assist in getting the job done. And the truth is, when you think about your life, you probably think, there is no way I can live for Jesus by myself. I need help. And the great thing about it is that we don't have to live this life ourselves. God left with us, when Jesus left, God left with us the Holy Spirit. And, And I don't want to keep referencing Acts, but man, if you haven't read the book of Acts... Read Acts because it it shows the beginning of the New Testament church, but what it also shows is the third person of the Trinity that gets left left out so many times, and that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit allows us to receive the same power that God has in our lives. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, lives inside of us when we give our lives to Jesus, when we become Christians. And a, a thing that this passage shows is that there's time in our life when we're going to hurt so bad, we're going to suffer so hard, that we won't even really know what to even ask of God. God, I'm, I'm hurting right now. Maybe you've never been to that place. I've been to that place before where I, I just go to God and I'm like, God, I don't even know what to pray right now. I don't know what to ask for, but I just need help. And the scripture tells us that if we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, like we talk about the idea of God knows your heart, God judges your heart, like while your actions are important, you can't fool what's on the inside. You might be able to fool me, you might be able to fool the people that's sitting around you. You can put on a great face. We've heard many leaders get up and share their testimony about how for years they knew all the right words to say, they knew all the actions to do, but they didn't truly have Jesus living in their life. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They had no peace of their salvation. And so you can fake it to us, but you can't fake it to God because He judges our heart. But one thing about that is if we are Christians and the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, then when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit goes on our behalf to God because He knows our hearts and He intercedes. He prays and tells God our wants and our needs for us sometimes. How crazy is that? 
That not only has God sent His Son Jesus to die for you, but He left His, His Holy Spirit to guide you and work through you. Man, God loves you so much. And if that doesn't show you that your life matters, I don't know what can show you that. We have assistance that is required. You can't do this yourself. So stop trying to. Stop trying to say, I'm going to leave here and I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to be better. You can't. Man, lean on Jesus. Lean on your friends. Lean on good people who are going to pick you up and help you because you're not going to be able to live this Christian life by yourself. You weren't designed to. You weren't created for it. You're, you're designed and created to be in community. So the assistance required. Lastly, the award received. The award received. In verses 28 through 30, we see this. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God. Many times we stop there. And we say, you know what? Good things are going to happen to me because I love God. We close the Bible and we go about our business. And so we expect like some magical genie that God is just going to show up and grant all of our wishes and all good things are going to happen. It's much like the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we, we write that on our eye black and football players just want to run through a brick wall. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We do the same thing with this verse. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God. But that's not what that verse is talking about. If we continue, it says this, those who are called according to His purpose. If you're not living in God's purposes, if you're not living for why God created you, guess what? You shouldn't be surprised if good things don't happen to you. So many times, and it's just, it's, I'm, I'm, can I be transparent for a moment? I'm, I'm, I'm always honest with you, but let me just be really transparent. Sometimes, I'm not very compassionate. Our adult leaders see this more than you do. But there's sometimes people come to me, not necessarily students, but I, I get a lot of like my age 20-somethings who are like, I don't know why so many bad things keep happening to me. And it's really hard for me not to tell them because you keep making stupid decisions. They're on fire out there. They are so <laughs> excited right now. But I'm like... If you stopped making dumb decisions, guess what? A lot of the, the bad things that are happening in your life would stop. Like, if, if you just made good choices, better things would happen. Listen, if you're not living according to God's purpose for your life, if you're like, Ryan, I, I say that I'm living for Jesus, but really I'm living for myself. If you're living according to your purpose, so put your name in this. To those who are called to Ryan's purpose, put your name in that. Guess what? I'm not promised that God's going to bless my purpose. What God says that He's going to bless is His purposes. And so you might say, well, and I, I get this all the time, I don't know God's will for my life. God's will for everybody's life is to love Him and to love others. It's that simple. Everything boils down to are you loving God and are you loving others? Because if you're truly loving God and then you're doing everything to love others, He will start revealing to you better His purposes. But a lot of people try to get it out of order and they love themselves before they love God and they love themselves before they love others and they expect good things to happen to them. The award that you receive does not happen when you live for yourself. The award that you receive happens when you give up yourself, you die to self, you say, you say God, it's not about Ryan. God, it's about you. It's about other people. And it says that God foreknew us. He predestined us. He conformed us to the image. And here's the thing. The award we receive is not praise from other people. The award that we receive is not good grades. 
or a husband or wife who's going to love us forever. The award that we receive when we follow Jesus is that we start being conformed to look like His Son. We see that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the closer we become to Jesus, the closer we become to God, the more we will receive those attributes in our life. If you see that more times than not you're angry, or you tell gossips, or you tell lies, or you see that you would rather live for yourself, guess what? You're not receiving the word from the Spirit because chances are you have put yourself in the middle of the purpose instead of God. It says that at the end of all of this, you'll be justified, and then it says that you will be glorified. This idea of you being lifted up. I read two quotes that I think are good. The first one talks about this. A lot of us self-label ourselves. And when we self-label, what we do is we, we say this. Maybe you've done this before. Well, Ryan, I know that God has called me to be that true underdog story, to defeat the giants in my life, to overcome like David, the giant that's standing before him and live in the purposes of God. But you know what? Um, I just really struggle with doubt or I really struggle with anxiety, or I'm just really, uh, I'm just, I'm prideful. I just really am. I know that I'm prideful. It's part of my personality. It's just one of those things. Uh, I'm just a lot of drama. Like, I realize that, but I just, I'm, I'm just drama. It's just, it's who I am. And so what we do is we have a preconceived notion. Ryan, I just really struggle with doubts and depression. Ryan, I just really struggle with this. Whatever it is. And we self-label. And when we do this, when we self-label ourselves, what we're doing is we're not trusting in the power of God to make a difference in our life. What we do is really we're making an alliance with Satan in saying that not only has Satan spoken these doubts into my life, but now I'm speaking these doubts into my life as well. And so we pretty much cut ourselves off at the knees and don't allow ourselves to receive this award from God because we self-label. I read this quote today. And I think it's very fitting, and it says this, Live out of your inheritance, not your circumstances. Many times, our walk with Jesus goes through highs and lows based on the circumstances around us. And we live in the moment. You're told to do that all the time. Live in the moment, live in the moment, live in the moment. And so what you do is when good things are happening in your life, you, you live for Jesus. When you go to conferences, when you come to youth group, when you go to D-Now, you're like, I live for Jesus. But then you go out into the world and you live for yourself. And it says, don't live in the middle of your circumstances. Live out of your inheritance. We talked about this idea of adoption. What you receive, the award you receive. Live out of the fact that God loves you. God knows you. He knows you by name. This is something that blows my mind. He knows every hair on your head. Out of 7 billion people, or however many live on the earth now, out of all of the billions and trillions of people who have lived throughout human history, the creator of it all knows you. He knows your situation. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hearts. He knows your fears. He knows your doubts. And He loves you anyways. He cares about you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants your life to make a difference. The question tonight is, will you allow Him to make a difference in your life? Will you allow Him to allow your life to matter? Will you live that true underdog story? 
Will people be able to look at you and say, man, I would have never thought that they would have been able to step up and be such a great leader for Jesus, but because they allowed him to, God is doing great things through them. You know what? In the Bible, and you've probably heard this saying before, but God does not call the equipped. He equips the call. What that means is you don't have to have all of these great skills and abilities to be used by God. He wants to use you in spite of yourself. All of the greatest leaders in the Bible... Moses, speech impediment. Paul, killer. All these other people, fishermen. None of them were trained. None of them were the most energetic, outgoing, whatever. God used people not who were skilled. God used people who were willing to be available for Him. Will you be available for Him tonight? Will you be able to say, God, whatever you want to do with my life, I'm here. God, whatever you want to do with my life, I'm yours. God, I want my life to matter And I want to be able to live my own true underdog story.